Okay, if you open up to Philippians chapter 4, we'll be looking at verses 1 through 9. I titled it, Paul's Advice for Joy and Peace, something we all need. And um, Paul's Advice for Joy and Peace, Philippians 4, 1 to 9. Um, just a reminder for those who are getting baptized tonight, we could have up to six people getting baptized, so... Uh, just make sure you you bring a change of clothes and a towel so that you don't have to catch an ammonia on the way home soaking wet in the cold. So uh, uh, so change of clothes and a towel, and that would be good. Obviously, modesty is real important in the church. And uh, uh, But if you're not getting baptized tonight, but you'd like to support and encourage those who are getting baptized, feel free to come. I'll have a real short message on baptism. And then we'll go right on up there. And Pat promised me the water's going to be warm so that you don't have a crying pastor uh, doing a baptism. So, um, But that's tonight at 6. Um, <clears throat> okay, uh, let's bow our heads and go to the, the Lord in prayer. Father, in Jesus' precious name, I, I love you so much, Lord. We love you. And we're so grateful that there's so many people here today that are here to hear your word preached. That in the midst of fake news and the lies of this world, there are still people who want your truth, who are tired of the faulty wisdom of man and want to hear your truth proclaimed. And so I pray, Lord, that they would not be wasting their time today, that you would anoint me a fallible man, that you would anoint me to proclaim your truth through the power of the Holy Spirit and for your glory. And so I pray you would cancel the man, Lord, and have your word proclaimed uh, despite this, this imperfect vessel. I pray that you open hearts and minds to receive truth from your word today, including my own. And, um, and I pray that you would empower us by your spirit to apply these truths to, to our lives. And I pray you'd give everybody the... the the courage here to test everything they hear from me or from John or Pat or Willis. Test everything with your word. For your word is pure. Your word is totally true. Everything else, man, is fallible. And so we need to test all things, including the sermons of preachers, by your word. And so I pray that you give us that courage. And I pray, Lord, that uh, you would help us with the stresses of life. You would help us to find your peace and your joy and to find it where it can only be found, and that's in you. And so make us people of your word, people of prayer, people who have the fruit of the Spirit, especially your joy and your peace and your love. Uh, unite us in Christ and um, just empower us to endure and to persevere and be faithful to you despite the difficult times ahead. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. So, Philippians chapter 4, verses 1 to 9. Paul's advice for joy and peace. And um, your brief introduction, Paul just got done talking about, look, our, our citizenship is in heaven. So if you come up to me and you tell me, Pastor Phil, it's all falling apart. It's all going down. America's toast. Yeah, I, 
I'm not going to argue with you on that. But we shouldn't be, you know, wallowing in the mud about it. Now, there's a certain amount. I mean, Jeremiah wrote Lamentations. There's a certain amount of godly lamenting we need to do. Jesus did cry at Lazarus' funeral, even though he ruined the funeral by raising the guy from the dead. So they had to have another one for him a few years later. But, but, uh, but Jesus could look at human suffering and weep for us because it didn't have to be that way in the garden. At the same time, we still, as we weep with those who weep, like Romans 12 tells us, we still experience God's joy. We choose to have God's joy. And we remember that ultimately our citizenship is not here in America. Our citizenship is in heaven. America's shakable, big time. Okay? And um, uh, the kingdom of God, heaven is unshakable. Okay? And that's, that's where our trust is. Okay? And um, um, so our citizenship is in heaven, Therefore, we press on towards the upward call in Christ Jesus. Paul tells us, don't settle for mediocrity. You know, there's a, you know, there's a lot of uh, times we go into something and we say, yeah, I'm going to give 40% today. That's pretty good for me, you know. And depending on what you're doing, that might not be the worst thing. You know, I mean, if it's like, if... Um, you know, if you're playing some some sport with your kids and you don't feel like giving 100%, maybe 40%, but you're giving them 100% love, that's not a bad thing. But when it comes to uh, serving Jesus, it's 100% 24-7. Even when we sleep, the number one reason why we should sleep is to get refreshed, to get our energy back, so we can get up in the morning, serve our king. And uh, so don't settle for me mediocrity when it comes to serving the Lord. Now, by the way, that's one side of the coin. The other side of the coin, that means, that doesn't mean saying yes all the time. You know, you, 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 we, we think if I say yes all the time, somebody needs help, somebody needs a Christian servant. If I say yes all the time, That'll be pleasing to God. No, what that's saying is you're, you're actually acting like God could only use you. He can't use others. So really, be a person of prayer, a person in the Word, so you can figure out what God's called you to do, but also what God hasn't called you to do. Okay? And, um, and so I'm not saying do everything, but I'm saying give 100% at what God has called you to do. But, you know... If you're supposed to be spending time with your family and taking care of them, you might have to tell a buddy, no, I can't come over right now, but I'll, I'll come by tomorrow or something and get a cup of coffee and we can talk. Um, but whatever the case, we got to give 100%. And then we got to put no confidence in the flesh. It's so easy to think that, man, when Jesus saved me, boy, he got a bargain. Look at all the talent he got. You know, it's like, no, no. God, Our God is a God who has the ability to love that which is unlovable and to use that which is unusable. Okay? 
when I got saved by King Jesus, when you got saved by King Jesus, we brought nothing to the table. Okay? So I'm hoping you could see a lot of good in me, and I'm hoping I could see a lot of good in you. But that's all the changes Jesus made in us. Even if we had talents and abilities before we got saved, we were all using it for the wrong side. And, um, and so don't put any confidence in the flesh. Put all your confidence in the Lord Jesus. So now Paul moves into chapter 4 in our Bibles. Of course, originally it was just one uh, letter. It wasn't broken down into chapters and, and verses. I'm glad we mankind broke it down into chapters and verses. A lot easier to memorize that way. But Philippians chapter 4 and verse 1 Therefore, my beloved and longed-for brethren, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, beloved. Okay? So, Paul loved the Philippians. I mean, look, he's in this one little verse. He calls them beloved twice. Okay? And then he says they're longed-for, too. So he loved the Philippians. He longed to see them again. They were his joy. He was very proud of them. And, and their love for Jesus. Um, you know, even the Apostle John in one of his letters said that it brings no greater joy to him than to know that his spiritual children are walking faithfully with the Lord. These guys brought tremendous joy to Paul. Now, the Corinthians, you know, gave Paul some sleepless nights. He thought, you know, I could sleep for six hours or I can pray for the Corinthians for six hours and he probably chose many times to pray for the Corinthians because they were so messed up. These guys were his joy. They were obedient, and they were his crown. Okay? We don't think of people, you don't, we don't think of somebody, if you're a spiritual father to somebody, you don't think of like, wow, you're my crown. But that's the way Paul thinks, and that's the way we should think. That Paul's understanding is that God, when you're saved, God rewards faithful service. Okay? And if you are, and by the way, service, ministry, that means people. You don't serve things, you serve people. Even if you're a Christian accountant, you're not serving the numbers, you're serving people. Okay? And um, so... uh, as we serve people and disciple them, God will reward faithful service. And Paul could look at the uh, Philippians and say, wow, God's going to reward me for this faithful service. I discipled them. They're turning the war, their, their own community. They're turning it upside down. They're preaching the gospel. They're doing so well. Then he could look at the Corinthians. He poured a year and a half into the Corinthians and he could say, gee, are these guys even saved? With all the issues they got going, okay? And, um, um, you know, it brings me great joy uh, to know some of the guys that I taught, sometimes in high school, sometimes I taught them as adults, are now pastoring churches um, around the country. And they're not, um, um, they're, they're not compromising the faith once for all delivered to the saints. Well, you know, if God is going to reward you for faithful service, so you, you bear your cross, the ministry God's given you. You serve the Lord by serving others and teaching them about Jesus and helping them to grow in the Lord. And you use the spiritual gifts that God's given you, and then there'll be rewards. And I, 
I'll let the Lord decide what crowns to give me. It's my job to carry to bear a cross. But Paul could look at the Philippians and say, man, it's pretty easy to see. These guys are the real deal. These guys are on fire for Jesus, you know? And um, I'm telling you, I'm very, very happy to be the pastor, the senior pastor of this church. Every once in a while, we'll get somebody in the church. They come by every four or five years, and and they start complaining that this is wrong in the church, that's wrong in the church, and nobody's serving Jesus, nobody's doing this, nobody's... And I used to really feel down, like, oh, man, I'm failing and stuff. But then what I learned was I learned to ask, ask for names. Who, who exactly are you talking about? And they, they can never produce names because they don't even know anybody. They just assume, like, they're the only one in Bremerton that's serving Jesus. And, uh, and so then I started telling them about some of the ministries that I see. You, you can't be talking about, about uh, Pastor John. Because he serves the Lord this way. You can't be talking um, about Josh. Josh is always sharing his faith with people at work. You can't be talking about somebody else. But it's like, like, um, and then after situations like that, you know, when I get real kind of depressed and thinking, gee, I failed as a pastor. And then I start thinking about our people as individuals and then collectively as a body of Christ. It brings joy to me. To know that our people are serving the Lord. We haven't, have we been perfect? No, but no church that Paul pastored was perfect. And, uh, but we got people here that love Jesus. You ought to get to know each other, by the way. Every once in a while I find out somebody doesn't know somebody else, and it's like, hey, get to know each other. And there's a lot of powerful, the powerful stuff that's going on is here. We're just equipping you for service on Sunday. It's Monday through Saturday. Where you guys are out there serving Jesus in your in your individual lives, and people are attending Bible studies and inviting friends and things of that sort, and sharing their faith with coworkers. Well, with Paul, uh, they were his joy and his crown. They were evidence that Paul's ministry was really from God. Spiritual growth that the Philippians had through the service of Paul, through Paul's ministry, um, was supernatural. It was from God, and it was evidence uh, that Paul's ministry was, was real. Now Paul tells him, I want you to stand fast in the Lord. You know, don't, you're doing great, okay? But, you know, King David might have been doing great just a day before he fell into... Uh, adultery, and then a few days before he uh, had one of his guys murdered to cover up his scandal. Um, so you got to stand fast and low. It, it's all. When I give advice on ministry, and we and God calls us all to ministry of one type or another, it's all about faithfulness and perseverance. You be faithful day by day, and you persevere. I love, I love bumping into guys like Jim Nardo. Some of you guys know Jim Nardo. And, um, because I only see the guy. I bump into him once every 10 years. And he's more on fire for Jesus every new time I see the guy. You know? 
because, you know, I hear about brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so is not walking with the Lord anymore. But then when we bump into brothers and sisters in the Lord who are walking for decades with the Lord, just had the memorial service for, uh, for Marcus. There was also the memorial service that I attended for Joey V. Hill, guys who persevered to the end. Joey V. Hill was in his 70s and I knew him since the 1980s and he still was walking strong with Jesus till the day he went to be with the Lord. And um, um, we've got to stand fast. Uh, Paul doesn't want the Philippians to fall into, uh, to fall for false teachings. Doesn't want them to fall into sinfulness. Doesn't want uh, them to have divisions in the church. Uh, in short, Paul wants the Philippians to keep being the Philippians and not become the Corinthians, okay? If you don't know what I'm talking about, just read First and Second Corinthians and um, you'll be shocked at the amount of sin can en- that can enter uh, a church. But he's telling them basically, stay true to Jesus and his word. Now, in verses 2 to 3, the Apostle Paul gives some personal instructions. Verse 2, and I'm happy for verse 2 because... Without verse 2, I'd wonder, man, are these Philippians perfect? And the answer is, no, they're not perfect. Uh, Philippians chapter 4, verse 2. I implore Euodia and I implore Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. And I urge you also, true true companion, I don't know if he's just talking metaphorically about the whole church or maybe Epaphroditus who he sent this... this, uh, scroll with to them, but he says, I urge you also, true companion, help these women who labored with me in the gospel. So, uh, Euodia and Syntyche, they, when, when Paul first preached in Philippi, they were probably some of his first converts, uh, or maybe they were Christians already, and they helped him. Uh, in fact, um, it was probably Paul's buddy Epaphroditus who planted the church, but these ladies labored with him in the preaching of the gospel, and, um, and they labored with him in the gospel, and then he says, with Clement also. So there's some guy named Clement, who also uh, labored with Paul and these two ladies. There were some of the leaders, people like Epaphroditus. They served the Lord in ministry. Paul had many colleagues like Timothy and Barnabas and all. Uh, I urge you also, true companion, Help these women who labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Okay, what is he saying? He's saying, look, you do have a problem that's going on. It's kind of like the the elephant in the room. You know, nobody wants to say the elephant in the room. Well, Paul's going to talk about the elephant in the room. You got two godly ladies that have done so much for the cause of the gospel and have been co-laborers with Paul, and now um, they had some kind of a bitter disagreement. Now, if you notice, Paul is not picking sides. So I don't think one of the two is like denying that Jesus is God or denying salvation by God's grace alone through faith alone and Jesus alone. I don't think... One of them is, is teaching heresy. Otherwise, Paul would have said, hey, you need to side with uh, Euodia and, and discipline Syntyche or whatever. Okay? 
But that's not what he says. You know, you look at that. I implore Euodia and implore Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Okay? And then he says, help these women who labored with me in the gospel. So they have some kind of a bitter disagreement. And Paul didn't want to pick sides. I don't think it was a moral issue. I don't think it was a theological issue. Okay? It's amazing what godly brothers and sisters can argue about that really don't amount to a hill of beans in the kingdom of God. Okay? And um, we can argue about the style of music. We can argue about the length of the pastor's sermon. We can argue about the color of the carpet, you know? Uh, but I'm telling you, these ladies had to be godly ladies. Because, I mean, if somebody needed to get slammed, need, needed to get a Holy Ghost slam, Paul is more than willing to do it. But not these ladies. They just, they both love Jesus. They both serve the Lord. But they had some kind of disagreement. And Paul wants them to be united in Christ. It's probably hurting the rest of the church. And he's saying, look, they labored with me in the gospel. So he respects them both uh, greatly. Okay? So ask yourself that question. Do I have a little bit of my own agenda where although I want to serve Jesus with all my heart, um, I might actually cause divisions with other Christians because my agenda sometimes comes into play and I get more passionate about my own agenda than I do about the things of the Lord. Because apparently that was what was going on between these two ladies. Okay? And, um, and so Paul, I mean, I mean, there are people that Paul mentions by name that they are serving Satan. They, you know, he, he brings the hammer down. He doesn't on these two ladies. So whatever their disagreement is, um, he wants them uh, to uh, be united in Christ. And he respects them so much because they both labored with him in the gospel. Now, he also mentions a guy named Clement. We don't know for sure who this Clement is, but a, a big group of uh, Bible scholars think, and I agree with them, that it's probably Clement of Rome. Clement of Rome. He's called one of the apostolic fathers. And this Clement guy had also labored by Paul's side. Now, a guy named Clement became the bishop of Rome in 95 AD. Now, Rome was the capital of the Roman Empire. So you're not going to promote. In fact, you're not, nobody becomes a bishop. But by this time, you had pastors of churches, elders and deacons. But all of a sudden, some cities would have like 25 churches. And they'd need some supervision. So some of the pastors became pastors of pastors. And um, whereas in the Bible, there's only elders and deacons. If you call the elder an elder, it's like we get our word pres Presbyterian from it. But... If we call him a, a bishop, it means overseer. Uh, but as time went on, the churches was getting harder and harder to keep together. So you'd have like a, a pastor who kind of would oversee 
uh, all the other pastors in an area, and this guy became the Bishop of Rome. So whoever became the Bishop of Rome, that guy had to have a really good resume. And what better resume than if he walked with and labored with and was trained by the Apostle Paul. So I think it is uh, the same Clement. Uh, even Paul, when he wrote to Philemon and he wanted the slave Onesimus freed, a guy named Onesimus became a bishop in the early church. Probably the same guy. Okay, uh, Ignatius, who became the bishop of Antioch, Assyria, that was the church in 107 AD. They fed him the wild beast, but he had been the bishop for a while there. Um, that was the same church that Paul and Barnabas went to. Okay. By the way, you could see these guys' writings. Um, Clement of Rome, Ignatius, you could buy it right off the shelf at Barnes & Noble, the Apostolic Fathers. Now, um, most Christians think, well, because he became the Bishop of Rome in 95 AD, Clement wrote his letter to the Corinthians, by the way, in 95 AD. Okay? Uh, there's two problems with that. Number one, he never appeals to his authority as bishop. And, you know, maybe he was the bishop and just didn't decide not to appeal to his authority as the bishop. But the other thing is, in that letter to the Corinthians, he says the temple is still standing. So the temple was destroyed in 70 AD. Famous, famous Christian thinkers all go with the 95 AD date. I told, you know, I was being interviewed on a radio show with uh, Frank Turek, uh, one of the leading apologists, a great guy. He's also originally from New Jersey. And I mentioned Clement of Rome, and he said, well, for our listeners, just in case they don't know, he became the Bishop of Rome in 95 AD, and that's when he wrote this letter to the Corinthians. And I said, well, yeah, he became the Bishop of Rome in 95 AD, but since he claimed the temple was still standing, he probably wrote in 70 AD. Now, why don't scholars want to admit Clement of Rome wrote in 70 AD? Because he quotes from some New Testament books that they don't want to be written that early. Okay? And, um, but whatever the case, uh, this Clement, is he Clement of Rome? We don't know for sure. Uh, I tend to think he is. And, uh, and if Paul's writing about having nausea, Paul's writing from a Roman prison, so you got Clement and you got Rome involved in this statement. But whatever the case, uh, just as these two ladies had labored by Paul's side, so did this Clement and, and the rest of Paul's fellow workers, as he mentions. And he says their names are in the book of life. What he's saying is, I'm pretty sure these people are saved. Okay? Their names are recorded in the Lamb's book of life. And um, so, I mean, sometimes it's hard. Sometimes you got a brother or sister in the Lord and they just plain get on your nerves. And sometimes it's not, you know, sometimes it's just a, a cultural thing. You know, maybe they're from New Jersey and you're from Alabama and you just don't talk the same, you don't act the same, you don't like the same things, okay? Let me tell you, our unity in Jesus has to be above all of that, okay? So, um, you know, and I know, I know what you're thinking, but the guys from New Jersey are so easy to get along with, and, uh, 
but those Alabama guys, you know, so just, just, just be gracious to the Alabama guys. Not everybody, not everybody's from, from God's country out there in, in Jersey, so. Um, but, uh, but whatever the case, you know, and the thing is, too, is suppose one of these ladies that said, yeah, but she hurt my feelings, and she won't apologize. Paul would probably say, I, I really feel bad for you because I, I love you. But if she won't apologize, you know, can she, probably both of them thought the other one should have apologized. But it's like if she won't apologize and your feelings are hurt, is that as important as the kingdom of God moving forward? Okay, so maybe every once in a while, let's let's put up a let's put up with a few tears, um, because somebody made you angry or said something that you didn't like, a brother or sister in the Lord. Let's put up with that a little bit because uh, there's more important things going on. The day will come, Jesus will wipe away every tear. Okay, now if you know you wrong somebody. You better get get with God's program and apologize and ask their forgiveness. You know, sometimes there's some people I thought I wronged them a little. And but I thought they wronged me a lot. And the Lord still said, yeah, but you're more spiritually mature than that guy. Forgive him. And uh, um, but we got to make peace. And so that's why Paul goes right into talking about. How do we get joy and peace in God's kingdom? Okay? Because obviously these two ladies didn't have joy and peace. And I'm, I'm telling you, if you don't have God's joy and God's peace, it'll spread like cancer throughout the church. Okay? You give me a couple grumpy people who are constantly banging heads, and eventually people start picking sides, and all of a sudden you got a big church division. How are we going to serve Jesus if we're divided? We've got to be united in Christ. Well, we need God's joy and peace. So this is what I call Paul's formula. I don't even like the word formula, but I think it's Paul's formula for joy and peace. His advice for, for, for joy and peace. I got, I got a typo there. I got verses 4 to 10, but it's actually verses 4 to 9. And he, first he says in verse 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Okay? Let me tell you. God does not command feelings. Okay? Joy is a choice. You might might say, well, Pastor Phil, I can't have joy. Uh, My boss is thinking of firing me right now. And I had a good career and I'm taking care of my family. And I'll be honest with you, if I'm in that situation, I'm having a hard time having joy. But we got our Ethiopian Christian brothers and sisters that might not have enough grain in their hand to stay alive till the next morning. And they have no problem having the joy of the Lord. We Americans are like totally spoiled. You know, it's like we've had it, we've had it so good if your second or third microwave breaks down, you think, okay, yeah, now I know what Job was going through. Okay? Uh, we live, we in America here, you could be unemployed and you still live better than kings of some nations. 
Okay? And um, so uh, we got to put things in perspective. And Paul says, look, rejoice in the Lord always. Oh, I know what you're saying, Paul. Rejoice when things go my way. No, no, no. Rejoice in the Lord always. The bad times and the good times. Okay? We must choose, choose to rejoice during good days and bad days. Okay? And joy isn't, uh, you know, it isn't something where, you know, like I, I watch, sometimes you watch Christian television and people are faking smiles. You know, trying to fake the joy of the Lord. These, um, some of them are you know, heretical Christians. And sometimes they think the camera's not on them and they take a break and they move their tongue around them, massage their mouth and all. Look, having the joy of the Lord doesn't mean you're walking around with a smile all the time. Some of us smile all the time. We had a guy that smiled all the time in boot camp. Okay? Got him in a lot of trouble. You know, everybody called him smiley. The DIs don't like when you're smiling when they're yelling at you. That's not the response they want, okay? Um, but uh, I noticed when, when, when they were forcing us to wear masks, and I'd be at Walmart or Fred Meyers, people were actually saying hello to me, strangers. Hi, how you doing? I said, doing good. How about you? Doing good. I thought, so I actually thought people are getting friendlier during this COVID epidemic thing. And, uh, but then as soon as the masks came off, nobody's saying hello to me anymore. So all I could figure is when I walk around, it looks like I have a scowl on my face or something. And people are like, look, that's a real grumpy, irritable guy. Leave him alone. Well, I'm not irritable and grumpy. I got the joy of the Lord, but I don't always smile all the time. So just keep that in mind. Some, when some people have the joy of the Lord, they let you know. Other people have the joy in the Lord, and it just doesn't show up. They're not like, sometimes, some people just aren't big on feelings. Some, uh, some people aren't just big smilers, okay? I, I, can't even, I can't even smile for a photo. Um, my wife tells me, you know, think about playing with your grandson when he was little or something like that, something to, to, to bring a smile, but I don't even know how to fake a smile. So, uh, um but the joy of the Lord, it's not about faking it. It's about choosing. I choose to have the joy of the Lord even though things are getting really bad because I know that my loved ones and I will someday be in heaven with Jesus and we don't deserve it. Amen. And what's the worst that man can do to you? He can kill you. And these usher you into the presence of the Lamb who was slain, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Lord Jesus. So we got to choose. This is not happiness. Happiness is like a roller coaster ride. You're happy when things go your way, and then you're down and sad when things don't go your way. Joy is constant, okay? Um, and you can weep for a loved one and still have the joy of the Lord. But you, you just choose to have God's joy. There's been times when I said, so Lord, Lord, I don't understand your ways. But I know you work all things for good to those who love you. And, um, and I choose to have your joy. And so with the joy of the Lord, there's no secret there. It's just, you're just commanded. It's just like you know, the Bible commands husbands to love their wives as Christ loved the church. 
It's a command. Okay? Just like, you know, thou shalt not kill, uh, thou shalt not steal. Those are commands. They're not suggestions. And so Paul commands us to rejoice in the Lord always. Then he says in verse 5, let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Um, let your gentleness be known to all men. I was thinking about the word gentleness. I looked it up in the dictionary and thought about it for a while. Looked it up in the, in the Greek and all and stuff. And, and here's just some ideas that go with gentleness. Uh, if you're a gentle person, you're a patient person, and you have this mild goodness, this kind of this mellow goodness. You don't push yourself off on everybody. Uh, you don't insist on the letter of the law. You care more about the spirit of the law. The letter of the law is a list of rules and regulations, and sometimes people care more about rules than they care about people. Okay? The spirit of the law is loving God with everything you got and loving your neighbor as yourself. Okay? So Jesus, on the Sabbath day, when the letter of the law says rest, Jesus said, there's a guy who needs healing, and I'm going to heal him. Okay? And so, so we're not all caught up on the, 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 the letter of the law. Let, let, uh, if you're not caught up on the letter of the law, you know, and you're not demanding perfection from your buddies because only Jesus is perfect. Let's say your buddy's having a bad day and he's a Christian. Okay? And as he's complaining and pouring his heart out to you, he lets out a few curse words, and you're like, okay? Um, a gentle person might just say, you know, I'll, I'll talk, talk to him about that a month from now when he's through this, but right now I'm going to just, I care more about him than the letter of the law. And the spirit of the law says, love him as I love myself. Okay? And so... Uh, being gentle, you're patient, you're good to people, you don't insist on the letter of the law. It's kind of like a gentle parent's love for the, the unruly child, you know? Um, uh, I remember James Dobson, a Christian psychologist, said he was on a public transit bus in some city one day, and it was packed, and... A girl in there obviously was, was special, but she kept repeating the same word over and over and over again. And it was, it was awkward. It was making people kind of uneasy. And so it would be like, like, like uh, butterfly, butterfly, butterfly. And James Dobson looked over, and as you can see, some of the people were getting, she was saying it loud, whatever it was. I don't remember what the word was, but I'm just going to use butterfly for... First thing that popped into my head, I don't know why, but, um, but um, you know, I'm, I'm a gentle guy. We think of butterflies. But, um, but um, whatever the case, so people were really getting, like, embarrassed and everything. And James Dobson noticed this big, strong, older guy. Big, tall, big, burly guy. And the guy walked towards her. And James Dobson was like, oh, no, I hope this guy isn't going to chew her out. And, uh, and the guy put his arms around her and said, yeah, sweetie, butterfly. And gave her a kiss on the forehead. 
Now, you think anybody's going to mess with that girl then? No. But her dad, he was gentle. He was gentle. When's the last time you've been gentle? And, and, and believe me, you know, uh, I probably don't look like a gentle person. We've got a few people. You don't look like a gentle person there. And uh, um, this, this guy, you don't look like a... I want to hold your ears and I'm going to tell a story. His two sons were hockey players. He was a hockey coach. They all looked like they could throw down and stuff. But um, I remember his two sons were shooting baskets outside the weight room. And was I think it was the time I met you. And you showed up and you were talking to me and getting to, to meet me and stuff. And uh, your older son, Chris, stopped shooting baskets. These were two tough guys. And he just stopped shooting baskets. And he just leaned over and kind of snuggled his head into your chest. And I thought, right away, I thought, that's a good, that's a good dad. That's a good dad. That's what Apostle John did with Jesus. That's a good dad. You know what that is? That's gentleness. And some of us are real good. We're real good being gentle with our, our kids. Some of us aren't good at that, but some of us are good at gentle with our kids and our grandkids. Are we gentle with other people, too? You know? If you're gentle with other people, they're going to like to hang around you. So, you know, some of us like our, our privacy. But, um, but we, we, need, we need to be gentle, to be gracious, to be kind, to be patient, to be forgiving. And, um, you know, anytime you're losing patience for somebody and you don't feel like being gentle with them, just remind yourself of who you were before Jesus saved you. Look how patient and gentle Jesus was with you. Okay? And I'll be honest with you, right now we still don't deserve to be saved. It's still grace. And look how patient and how uh, gracious uh, and gentle God is with us now. And then Paul said, when he said there, let your gentleness be known to all men, the Lord is at hand, the Lord is at hand, always live in the expectancy of Jesus' return. I don't care if it's 2,000 years ago or if it's today. Always act like, look, the Lord Jesus is going to come back. And whenever he comes back, whatever your view about the end times are, it's going to catch a lot of people, believers included, off guard. So we gotta, we got to be on watch. But, you know, it's just like when you're on the job site, work hard just in case your boss shows up. Okay? And... Um, and so the Apostle Paul tells us, let your gentleness be known to all because the Lord is at hand. Always live in the expectancy of Jesus' return. Then in verse 6, he says, be anxious for nothing. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Be anxious for nothing. He's saying, don't suffer anxiety. Don't worry. Don't stress out. Okay, look at, uh, at Matthew 6. The Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6. So it's a longer passage, we're going to read it all, but Matthew 6, starting at verse, um, actually starting at uh, verse 25 through 34. 
Verse 25, therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into the barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? O you of little faith. Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For all these things the Gentiles seek, the pagans seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. He's talking about our physical needs. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. You know, it's kind of like, oh, you think you got worries today? Wait till tomorrow comes. There's going to be more, but don't worry, because God is, God is faithful. God is faithful, and God is in control. So don't worry, don't stress out or suffer anxiety. You know, when I thought about this, I thought, you know what? There's only two things you could worry about. You could divide everything that you could possibly worry about into two categories. There's things you could change, and there's things you can't change. So the issue is, why worry? If it's something you can change, well, then don't worry. Change. Let's say you're, you're spending more money than you make which is real easy for us Americans to do. You're spending more money than you make. Well, you can change that. Stop spending more money than you make. Start setting some money aside for a rainy day, okay? Um, if it's something you can change, don't worry about it. Just change it, okay? Uh, but if it's something you can't change, then why worry? Because worry is not going to help. It will only hurt. Okay, it was Proverbs 14, I think, it's, I think it's verse 30, but a heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. You worry, you're going to destroy your, your body. You're going to destroy yourself. I know people in this room, myself included, that have been hospitalized for things that looked really, really bad, and more times than not, it was like stress-related. Okay? Stress can kill. Okay? And, um, and so we got you just like, look, if I can't change it, what is stress, what is wor stressing out and worrying going to do? It's just going to make things worse for me. It's going to destroy my health. So if worrying can't help and it can only hurt, why worry? But if it's something I can change, don't worry about it. Just change. Make the change. And, uh, and so what Paul's saying is, don't worry, trust God. So we come back to Philippians chapter 4, 
Be anxious for nothing. Well, what's the alternative? But in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And so Paul says, look, don't worry, pray. Don't worry, pray. See, you're not in control of your circumstances. You think you are. God's in control. We get to either trust in our circumstances, so when things go bad, we get all sad, and when things go good, we get all happy. We like to trust in our circumstances. That's walking by sight. Walking by faith is walking by trust in the Lord. Don't trust your circumstances. Trust in the Lord who's in control of your circumstances. And we ought to pray humble prayers. Lord, if it be your will, take this trial from me. But whatever your will is, Lord, that's what I want. Because it might be God's will for that trial to continue, for the Lord to mold you into the kind of person he needs you to be. And, um, um, but, uh, but Paul says, be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, that's key, let your requests be made known to God. So don't worry. Don't be anxious. Pray. Look at 1 Peter 5, verse 7. 1 Peter chapter 5, and verse 7. We'll look at verses 6 and 7. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6 and 7. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. That's just what Paul said about Jesus, giving us the example. We humble ourselves in God's presence, and then he exalts us. If we exalt ourselves, then God's going to humble us. So you humble yourself before the Lord, that he'll exalt you in due time. And then verse 7, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Okay? And um, so, so don't worry. Petition God. God cares. You might think, well, God doesn't care about me. And I was like, when I was in the Marine Corps, and uh, you know, I was coming out of Catholicism, so I made the sign of the cross as I was getting ready to try to qualify. I was in the prone position, getting ready to shoot at a target 500 yards away, a silhouette target. And, um, and you got to hit most of those shots if you're going to qualify. It's the last stage of qualification with the M16. And so my career is on the line. My job is on the line. So I made the sign of the cross, and I was praying. And Lieutenant Hallman, who was also a Christian, later became Captain Hallman, he said, Fernandez, what are you praying about? I said, well, I'm just praying that God helps me qualify today. He said, you're only supposed to pray for important stuff. And I said... Sir, me being a good Marine and qualifying, that's probably more important to God than it is to me. And um, um, so, you know, and he kind of took it to heart. He was a new believer at the time. And, um, and he was still growing in the Lord. But it's, there's a lot of times you might think, well, who am I to, to pray to God? Well, God commands you to pray to him. Okay? And... God created us all in his image. We're fallen. But he sent Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. The Holy Spirit draws us. God cares about you. Okay? 
And our circumstances will someday, sometimes make us think, God doesn't care because I'm starving to death right now. God doesn't care because I'm in prison for preaching the gospel. You put Paul and Silas in prison for preaching the gospel at midnight, they start singing praises because they choose to have the joy of the Lord. They choose to have God's peace and they know even if I'm in prison for preaching Jesus or you're in prison for preaching Jesus, even if our cancer culture cancels us, even if we lose our jobs, okay, Jesus is still king. Jesus is still in control. You know, I'm, t- I'm telling you, you know what? Uh, the, think of the most powerful evil man on the planet Earth. I can think of about 20 names right now. And uh, they could take a lot of stuff from me. But they can't take my joy. They can't take my peace. Now, I could surrender that. So I don't want to have the joy of the Lord. And be a little baby about it. But the world can't take that from you. The world can beat you. The world can batter you. They can't take the Lord from us. And he is our joy. He is our peace. He is our righteousness. And he is love. And uh, so, uh, so Paul tells us that in, when things get bad, just pray. Petition God because God cares. But pray with thanksgiving. Things could be worse. You might say, no, Pastor Phil, you don't know what I'm going through. It can't get any worse. Yes, it can. You could still be hellbound. We deserve hell. Jesus won heaven for us. It could be a lot worse. It could be infinitely worse. It could be eternally worse. Okay? So we, there's something to thank God about. Now, if you're in Ethiopia and you're starving to death and your loved ones have already starved to death, maybe the only thing you could be thankful about is salvation. That's enough. Okay? Here in America, we've got to thank God for salvation and then we've got to thank God for the good health that we've had, for the prosperity that we've had, the job that we had. We've got so many things. Don't let those things distract you from the Lord. Okay? Um, our, uh, our contentment must come from the Lord. And so, um, so we pray. When things get bad, instead of stressing out, we pray. And we pray with thanksgiving. And so Paul's saying, don't worry Pray. Okay? Now, what's the result of that? Verse 7. You know, you, I've been there before where I've been having a really tough time. I get on the floor. I get on my knees. I start crying like a baby, crying out to God. And then I, I get verse 7. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So the result is that the peace of God will overwhelm you. And then this peace goes beyond human understanding. People will look at us. How can you have peace and joy when your loved one just died? That goes beyond human understanding. How can you have peace and joy when you just lost your job? How can you have peace and joy when your friends abandoned you? Okay, that goes beyond human understanding. 
like the old Barry Maguire song says, there is a peace, a prince of peace, and he can heal your, your broken heart. And um, this is that peace, the peace that only comes from God will guard our hearts and minds through the power of Christ Jesus. Now, Paul gives us some further advice. So basically, don't worry. Pray with thanksgiving, okay? Cry out to God, and then the peace which surpasses all understanding, peace that only comes from God, will overwhelm us. Then verse 8, Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue... And if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Okay? And um, so meditate on the pure things of God's word. That which is true, noble, just, pure, lovely, of good report, virtuous, praiseworthy. So you don't meditate on things like anger, greed, lust, jealousy, deception, unrighteousness. Okay. No, you, you don't. Med- you don't even meditate on your problems. Don't you know? Don't try to ignore reality. Acknowledge there's a problem, but take it to the Lord. Okay. Don't focus. You know, it's it's like Peter was focusing on Jesus. He was walking on water because Jesus commanded him to. Once he took his eyes off Jesus, he started to sink. Some of us are meditating on, we're dwelling our minds on our problems when we should be focusing our minds on the problem solver, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now this is biblical meditation, focusing your mind on the pure things of God's word, not Hindu meditation. Hindu meditation, you surrender the control of your mind and evil, unclean spirits are more than willing to come in and take control. Okay? Um... Uh, biblical meditation, you empty your mind of your sinful desires, but you fill your mind with principles from God's word, the pure things of God's word. That's why the navigators, they used to have the hand illustration that when it comes to God's word, you need to hear it properly preached. You need to read the word. You need to study it and try to understand it. Then you need to memorize key verses so that you can then meditate on God's word. Just get a, get a concordance or go online and look up the word meditate in the word of God. It's all, we're commanded to meditate on God's word all the time. In fact, some of us stress out a whole lot because we don't meditate on God's word. We don't study it enough and read it enough and memorize it enough to where we could just sit down and just dwell on, on the truths, the pure things of God's word. And then finally, in verse 9... Paul says, the things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. Uh, By by the way, try try that verse on yourself. Let's say you're discipling somebody. Can you say to them, hey, look, look, dude, the things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, do those things, and the God of peace will be with you. Let's say a lot of us aren't always practicing what we preach. And so sometimes we're saying, you know, uh, I like to tell you to follow my example, but uh, I've had a bad week. Follow John McCarthy's example. Okay? But Paul could say this about himself. 
what they learned, received, heard, and saw in Paul do these things. Follow Paul's example. Paul practiced what he preached, and the result is that the God of peace will be with you. So don't worry. Pray. Make your request known before God. Do it with thanksgiving. And the results, the peace of God, which is beyond all human understanding, will overwhelm you. Meditate, dwell with your mind on the pure things of God's word, and then follow Paul's example in the path uh, of obedience. Okay? And that's Paul's advice on joy and living. So in conclusion, stand fast in the Lord. You know, don't be bragging about what you did for God through the power of the Holy Spirit yesterday. You got today, you got the rest of your life, okay? Jesus has not yet said to any of us, well done, thou good and faithful servant. So we need to stand fast in the Lord, settle disputes within the church. Maybe some of you are going to need to go home and pray and ask for forgiveness and then make a phone call or go visit a brother or sister in the Lord and say, hey, look, I'm sorry. Okay? Settle disputes in the church. Choose to rejoice in the Lord. And be thankful. Okay? Oh, but Pastor Phil, you don't realize how bad I have it. You've got a lot to thank the Lord for, even beyond the free gift of salvation. And if you do these things, God's peace will overwhelm you, that freedom from stress. Meditate on the pure things of God's word. Most of us meditate on our problems. Meditate on the pure things of God's word. Follow godly examples and the result will be that God's peace and his joy will be upon you. And that's my hope as a pastor, senior pastor of this church, I hope and pray that God's joy and his peace will be upon you. Let's close with a word of prayer. Father, in Jesus' precious name, Lord, in a world of, of stress, in a world of Anxiety in the world of troubles and trials and tribulation, we often find it hard to have joy and peace. But we know that you're a good God. And we know that you love us. And for those who believe, we know that you saved us. And so we have reason to be thankful. And we know that you care for us so we can cast our cares upon you. For we know that you care for us. And so I pray, Lord, that we would not focus on our circumstances or our trials, but that you would cause us, instead of worrying, help us to pray, to cry out to you with thanksgiving, but to make our petitions be known to you. And whether you answer that prayer the way we want you to or not, we can have your peace. And it's a peace which this world does not understand. But we can have your peace and your joy. Help us to meditate on the pure things from your word and help us to follow godly examples as we live lives of obedience through the power of the Holy Spirit and for your glory. Help us to live lives of obedience following you throughout the trials of life so that someday we can hear Words from your son when we see him face to face that we can hear him say, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Lord, give us your joy. Give us your peace. In the midst of a suffering world, 
May we trust in you for joy and peace. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. All right. God bless you, everybody. I think there's going to be cake downstairs. Yeah.